It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. Welcome in to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. It is your host and your conductor on a late night, Anthony Smith. And we got rumors, rumors, rumors. There's a potential breakup that could be taking place and it will probably affect the way you view pregame NBA. What am I talking about? Well, usually I give you a lot of prelims, but tonight I'm going to get right into the story. Also, I'm going to conclude with the remainder of 30 greatest HBCU players with the top five list. All right here on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. So let's just get right on into this. Anybody that watches the Dan Patrick show, you know, he usually has some very interesting topics of discussion. And this one is definitely not any difference. This one is centered around Charles Barkley. You know who Charles Barkley is. He is that guy that you see on the TNT set. Ernie, Shaq, and the game. He's more noted for the Barb CB trading back and forth with Shaquille O'Neal. But this has nothing to do with the Barb that he trades with Shaquille O'Neal now. If you remember a while back, Charles Barkley said if you gave him $2 million, he would kill, kill his own relative. Now, how much truth to that remains to be seen? But one thing is, Charles Barkley is set to listen to some people. And that conversation most likely took place tonight, so I would probably be back on another podcast to give you the updates. But Dan Patrick, 
Charles Barkley said he may need to give up TNT's inside the NBA for live golf gig. Charles is the one who said it. The possibility of Charles Barkley joining live golf appears to be getting real, and it might be coming at the expense of his role on TNT's inside the NBA. According to sports radio host Dan Patrick, Barkley is planning to meet with the higher-ups about a media position to live golf Wednesday night. And if Barkley likes the nominal figure presented to him, it could mean the end of his more than two-decade-long tenure on inside the NBA. Charles says he's going to listen to them, Patrick said on his Tuesday morning radio show. I believe tomorrow night and decide what he's going to do. And he might have to leave TNT. That's why this is a huge deal. Charles knows that he may have to leave TNT to do this. Last week, Barkley told the next round show that he was planning on talking with Liv Golf about a media role, but he may have downplayed the potential meeting by claiming he had no details about what the position would be. I'm going to meet with Liv, Barkley said last week. They called me and asked me would I meet with him. And I said yes. Nothing that's imminent. I actually don't know any, everything that they want from me or what they technically want me to do. But you got to always look at every opportunity that's available. So the answer to your question is 100% yes. I'm going to meet with Liv without knowing what they technically want me to do. Barkley appears to at least know they might want him to leave Turner or that Turner won't want to be associated with someone who works for Live Golf. As Live Golf poaches talent from the PGA Tour and attempts to build a viable team of broadcasters in hopes of attracting a TV deal, those who choose to associate with the Saudi-backed golf league have been widely criticized. If Barkley joins Live, he won't escape similar criticism regardless of his popularity. Now, the one thing that got my attention here was when it said they poach talent. Well, if you look at conference realignment, isn't that what conferences are doing? They're poaching teams from other conferences? I get the narrative. This is college football versus live golf, Saudi Arabia, some say blood money. But poaching, I'm sorry to say it, my friends, those who are listening to me right now, poaching is poaching regardless of how you try to dress it up. It's almost the essence of you can take a pig out of the slop, put him in a tuxedo, but when you let him run loose, he's going to go right back to the slop. Live is majority owned by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, and everyone associated with the league has been accused of helping the Saudi government sports wash their deplorable human rights abuses. Barkley, however, has supported golfers who choose to chase the nine-figure offers being handed out by the Saudi-funded tour and recently went so far as to say, if somebody gave me $100 million, I'd kill a relative. He doubled down on their price head. Heck, if you gave me $150 million, I would kill the close relative. 
while I assume his relatives will be safe if Barkley chooses to join Leah, it appears that the biggest blow to a potential deal might be felt by his Turner inside the NBA co-host, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, and Shaquille O'Neal. I'm just putting it out there what I was told this morning. Charles knows that he may have to leave TNT. That would be bad for everybody, Patrick continued. If Charles Barkley would leave TNT and go to the live tour, that's a big deal. That's not growing the game. Now you're taken away from the NBA with this. This has nothing to do with golf per se. Patrick was stopped by Seton O'Connor, Seton O'Connor, the Danettes, who asked why Barkley would have to leave TNT if he joined golf, joined live golf. I don't know, Patrick admitted. Charles is the one who said it. Meaning, Patrick's source on Barkley possibly leaving TNT and inside the NBA is Barkley himself. Turner likely can't compete with the Saudi PIF if they choose to offer Barkley a monster contract. But depending on Barkley's contract with Turner, could they stand in the way of him leaving for Live Golf? Or would they just accept a large buyout from the Saudi-funded league? But before jumping to how will Turner fill the void, let's wait and see how Barkley's rumored meeting goes Wednesday night. So, there, that is right there. Barkley connected with Liv Golf. Barkley in a meeting with Liv Golf. But there were some valid questions there toward the end of that article. Would Turner stand in the way? Would it be like, where they offer you, we'll match it. Or the other thing, would they accept the buyout? Now, that's where you fall into a catch-22. Because now if you accept a buyout, what's been the biggest thing people are saying about those golfers who are accepting contracts from their golf? They sold out. They're taking blood money. Well, would the same be said of TNT? if they accepted a buyout of Charles Barkley's contract from Saudi Arabia? Come on now, we have, we have to play it fair on both ends. I mean, if they give Barkley an offer that he can't refuse, whether he takes it and accepts the criticism, don't just criticize him if he accepts the offer. If TNT accepts a buyout, they're taking that same money that people have labeled as blood money. So there's no way around it. Charles accepts the deal. He's going to get the criticism. But if TNT accepts a buyout, don't you think that they are due some just criticism as well? Let's not make this a one-sided deal now. I understand people being up in arms over the PGA golfers that took this money and said, see you later. But how long has the PGA been around? And you're telling me PGA, the PGA does not have the funding to pay these guys? We live in a country, we talk about capitalism this, capitalism that. But oh, when it's from somebody else, oh, that's bad money. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. 
I will come back with some more on the other side of this break. I know this was a quick first segment, but it was packed with so much information. So I hope you have enjoyed this first segment. I will be back on the other side of this break. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. much more thank you for listening to the a train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith if you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or you can simply email me that's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com that's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com once again, it's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor up, burning the midnight all so you can have some good sports content overnight or as you drive in and work in the morning. So that's yours truly, Anthony Smith, your favorite host and conductor of the train. Well, the last time I was on here with you, I gave you a rundown of some of the 30 greatest HBCU football players and the suspense comes to a head tonight as I give you the five remaining best of the 30. So coming in at number five, Doug Williams, quarterback, 
scrambling state. There is a legend that before the Super Bowl, quarterback Doug Williams was asked, how long have you been a black quarterback? Williams has always been a quarterback, a first throughout his career. While blacks were either not smart enough or disciplined enough to play quarterback, Williams was the first black quarterback to start and win a Super Bowl. Williams first did not start there, however. Like many high school quarterbacks of his day, Williams was asked by many larger schools to switch positions. The Zachary High School standout wanted to play quarterback, and legendary head coach Eddie Robinson let him do so. While at Grambling State, Williams won 36 games and three SWAC titles. Williams led the NCAA in passing yards, total yards, touchdown passes, and yards per play as a senior. This stellar season led to Williams becoming the second black quarterback, Sandy Stevens, in 1961, to finish top five in Heisman voting. The NFL coach, the only NFL coach to work Williams out was a young offensive coordinator named Joe Gibbs. As a result, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, under Gibbs' advice, picked Williams in the first round, making Williams the first black quarterback to be a first-round draft pick. While in Tampa, Williams led the Buccaneers to their first playoff appearance and first conference title game in franchise history. After a stint in the USFL, the only coach to call Williams after the US, USFL folded, Joe Gibbs, who was now the head coach of, at that time, the Washington Redskins. The rest is history. Not a bad series of firsts. Number four. Jackie Slater. Offensive tackle, Jackson State University. Jackie Slater, another member of Jackson State's famed 1974 team, is one of great offensive linemen in NFL history. Slater did not play much during his first three years in the league, but in 1979, Slater started and did not relinquish his role until he retired in 1995. Slater was the anchor of one of the best offensive lines of the 1980s. Alongside fellow Pro Bowl linemen Ken Hill and Dennis Hara, Slater was the leader of an offensive line that paved the way for record-breaking running back Eric Dickerson. Slater was a physical run blocker and graceful pass blocker. In 1979, his first year as a starter, the Rams went to the Super Bowl, and Slater held Steelers defensive lineman L.C. Greenwood without a sack. In 1983, the Rams allowed a league-low 23 sacks while paving the way for Eric Dickerson's rookie record, 1,808 rushing yards. Slater's best playoff game came against the Philadelphia Eagles and fellow Hall of Famer, Reggie White. Slater held White without a sack. In 1989 was White's fifth of nine years with double-digit sacks. Slater's longevity was unmatched. When he retired, Slater's 259 games played was most all-time when he retired. Bruce Matthews broke the streak in 1999. Slater was the first to play 20 years with one franchise. 
Daryl Green, Washington, Jason Hansen, Detroit, and Tom Brady, New England, are the only others with 20 years with one franchise. Slater was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2001. Number three, Junius Buck Buchanan, defensive end, Grambling State University. Before the NFL actively began drafting black players, especially those from HBCUs, the AFL was a haven for black players good enough to play professional football, but not scouted or drafted by the NFL. By the 1960s, the NFL would draft and sign a smattering of black players, but not to the extent the AFL did. One example of this is disparity is Junius Buck Buchanan. An Alabama native, Buchanan played for legendary Grambling State head coach Eddie Robinson. During his Grambling career, Buchanan was an all-NAIA selection and four-year letter winner. Buchanan is one of four Robinson players to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. After Buchanan's career at Grambling was over, he was drafted by both the AFL and the NFL. While the Giants selected Buchanan in the 19th round, the Kansas City Chiefs selected him with the first overall pick. Buchanan was the first black football player selected first overall in professional football. Much like Deacon Jones, Buchanan would be an imposing figure even in today's game. At six foot seven, 272 pounds, Buck would be one of the more dominant forces in the game today. Buchanan was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1992. Number two, Walter Payton. Walter Payton, running back, Jackson State University. Affectionately known as Sweetness, Walter Payton could lay claim to being both the greatest college football player and professional football player of all time, if not for the first, if not for the player first on this list. When Peyton left Jackson State, and the NFL, he was the all-time leading rusher in both. Though Peyton was a standout running back at Columbia High School in Mississippi, he received no SEC offers. Peyton's only Division I offer came from Kansas State. So instead of leaving Mississippi, Peyton decided to play at Jackson State, where Eddie, his older brother, played. Peyton had an immediate impact while at Jackson State, rushing for 651 yards and five touchdowns as a freshman. As a junior, Peyton led the Tigers in rushing and led the nation in scoring. Not only did Peyton score touchdowns while at JSU, but he also kicked extra points and field goals. When Peyton graduated in 1975, he had the NCAA record for scoring, 464 points, and held nine different Jackson State records, including rushing yards and touchdowns. Peyton was an All-American and All-SWAC selection. In addition, FCS. Division One AA Player of the Year award was named after him. During Peyton's professional career, Sweetness was a Super Bowl champion, nine-time Pro Bowl selection, and all-time leading rusher. Tragically, Peyton died from a rare form of liver disease in 1999. Rest in peace. Which now brings us to number one. Jerry Rice. Wide receiver, 
Mississippi Valley State University. It's not hard to understand why Jerry Rice is first on this list. Jerry Rice is the greatest wide receiver and arguably the greatest football player in the game's history. No one had a prime of a career longer than Rice, and he holds numerous NFL records on his way to Canton. Many people might not know that Jerry World Rice might be the greatest collegiate wide receiver of all time as well. Rice set numerous NCAA records during his three years as the primary wide receiver for the Mississippi Valley State Delta Devils. Rice acquired the nickname World because he could catch anything thrown in his direction. In 1982 was Rice's his first year playing with Willie Totten and head, and head coach Archie Cooley's Satellite Express spread offense. That season, Rice had 66 receptions for 1,113 yards and seven touchdowns. But as a great, but as great a season as that was, the Totten Rice connection was not done. So before the 1983 season, Cooley began experimenting with a no huddle offense where Totten would call the plays at the line of scrimmage. It would pay off for pay off for Rice. That season, Rice set records for receptions 102, receiving yards 1,450, and receptions in one game 24. 1984 would be even more dominant for Rice and the Delta Devils. Mississippi Valley State University averaged a staggering 57 points per game that season, and Rice set more records. As a senior, Rice broke his own receptions 112 and receiving yards, 1,845, while setting the record for receiving touchdowns, 27. Rice finished his career with 301 receptions, 4,693 receiving yards, and 50 receiving touchdowns, a mark which stood until 2006. Rice was MVP of the Blue-Gray Classic and an All-American, finishing ninth in the Heisman Trophy balloting. Rice was not only a record-setter as a pro, he set records in college as well. So with that being said, I hope you have enjoyed the list of the 30 greatest HBCU players. I'm pretty sure if you look at that list and maybe you're looking at now down to the history of some of the other great players, you may say, well, maybe this player should have been on the list that wasn't on the list. I'll leave that up to you, but I'm satisfied with the list that I read to you. I mean, you can flip a coin. Walter Payton, two. Jerry Rice, one. Or Walter Payton, one. Jerry Rice, two. Either way you go, I don't think it would be a bad choice. Anyway, it is a Train Sports Talk podcast. And this train is still building up ahead of steam. So what I'm going to do when I come back, well, it remains to be seen. Keep your seatbelts on till the ride comes to an end because right now we're still building up steam. So I will be back after this. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your favorite host and conductor, Anthony Smith.
It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. That's right. Burning that midnight all, Getting this information out to you because plain and simple, you need it. And I got the goods. I got the sauce. So I'm delivering. Anyway, as we deal with a different landscape of college football called realignment. One can't help but to think, what is the state of college football? So there are five things to know about realignment. 2022 college football season is still a few months away, but college football fans across the country are concerned about the current state of college football. Before the 2021 season, Texas and Oklahoma announced future plans to leave Big 12 and join the SEC. Recently, USC and UCLA mimicked the Longhorns and Sooners, except they are departing from the Pac-12 for the Big 10. For a moment, can we just drop the numbers at the end of these conferences? Because at the end of the day, once they do all this realignment, add this part, add that part. Guess what's going to happen? The numbers is not going to match up to the name of the conference. That's just my quick rant. Conference realignment can be good for the games, but it also comes with the hesitancy, hesitancy and criticism. Since then, plenty of rumors are swirling around. Here's what you need to know about current state of college football with respect to conference alignment. Big 12 is making moves to absorb remaining Pac-12 teams. Big 12 was once seen as a conference near dissolution when Oklahoma and Texas announced their plans to leave. Today, the conference is making it clear that it isn't going anywhere and is actually trying to improve. What a difference it makes when one commissioner steps down and another comes in with his feet on the ground running. Bob Bowlesby, this is something you could have done. Anyway, other Pac-12 schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, and Washington, are looking to follow USC and UCLA in leaving. The Big 12 may be the best possible landing spot for them. Let me also put another pin right there because names you heard me say at the onset of this article was Big 10. There's a school that's in the Big 10, and I applaud what the new commissioner for the Big 12 is doing as opposed to what Bob Bowlesby did. But you have, well, you know what? 
I'm a table that I will come back to that. But just remember this what the Big 12 is doing. And I'm gonna tell you what else I think they ought to do. But right now, everyone is waiting on Notre Dame. Oh, Notre Dame's football program is independent. The other fighting Irish athletic programs are members of the ACC. There is a growing belief that Notre Dame will make the move over the Big Ten over to the Big Ten. Before extending invites to other programs, the Big Ten and likely others are waiting to see what Notre Dame decides to do. So right now there is radio silence from the Pac-12. The USC UCLA announcement was a catalyst in the Pac-12. It now seems as if just about every other program in the conference is exploring other opportunities with either the Big Ten or the Big 12. When Texas left the Big 12, it immediately added four national relevant programs in UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. The Pac-12 has not done the same and doesn't seem to be moving with any sense of urgency. Instead, it is attempting to land a new media rights deal, which, if lucrative, could lure programs back in. Now, let me stop right there, because said the Pac-12 is looking for media rights deal. That being said, we know that the ACC have their own network. SEC has their own network. The Big Ten has their network. Notice earlier the teams I mentioned, one of them being Colorado. What's so special about Colorado? It's not that it's anything special about Colorado, but Colorado coming back to the Big 12 is a natural fit. That being said, there's another team from the Big 12 who's in the Big 10. That team being the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who in my estimation, in my opinion, let's just say for lack of better terms, are a misfit in a conference they don't belong. Why are they there? TV deal money. Why are they not in the Big 12? Texas. Texas and their damned Longhorn Network, which basically put the conference at standstill, and Bob Bosley didn't have a set to challenge Big challenge, challenge Texas. Now that there is a new commissioner, a new sheriff in town, I think it's time that you go ahead and come up with a TV deal, a lucrative one, and also go after Nebraska and bring them back where they belong, to the Big 12. Moving right along, however, the ACC remains untouched for now. ACC is the only remaining Power 5 conference to not be impacted by conference realignment yet. However, there's plenty of time for things to change in CBS Sports. College football analyst Dennis Dye believes in believes Miami, Clemson, and Florida State may soon migrate to the SEC. Breaking the ACC grant of rights might require a significant eight-figure exit fee, assuming the contract isn't successfully challenged in court. However, such a penalty could be financed over a period of years while the new schools reap an annual windfall, writes Dodd. The SEC is quiet, too quiet. 
SEC seems to be playing a waiting game. Sure, a few ACC programs have been tied to the SEC, but nothing has come of it. The conference will likely wait for one of two things to happen. Programs of interest reach out and request an invitation, or the Big Ten makes moves that the SEC needs to match in order to keep up. So, what are your thoughts on this whole conference realignment thing? I can tell you this much, we're far from done. So, here is another question right here. What are ways the Big 12 can position itself as nation's top conference behind Big 10 and SEC? Brett Yomack wants to make the Big 12 a younger, hipper, and cooler conference after he officially takes over as commissioner. Notice he didn't say hipper, cooler, or younger. He's aiming for all three. Howell Yormack, a college sports outsider who has spent most of his professional life working with the NBA and Jay-Z's talent agency, Rock Nation, approached that kind of makeover. Good question. The league that Kansas and Kansas State call home is fighting for future relevance as the Big Ten and the SEC attempts to leave every other conference in their wake. It will be interesting to see what kind of strategy Euromac leans on to help the Big 12 keep pace and project a new image. But if you're being if we're being honest, Handling the first part of that sentence will take care of everything else. The youngest, hippest, and coolest thing that the Big 12 can do right now is position itself as the nation's number three conference. Here are three ways the Big 12 can go about doing exactly that as conference realignment continues to shake up the college sports landscape. One, look to the Pac-12 and expand. One option is already off the table. According to a report from ESPN, the Big 12 and Pac-12 have no interest in merging their conferences, whether it be by pooling resources, scheduling juicy crossover games, or creating the nation's largest league. They don't think a partnership makes fiscal sense. Both conferences discussed all possibilities, but Big 12 leaders reportedly informed the Pac-12 they didn't want to proceed. It was an ironic end to those negotiations, seeing as how the Big 12 asked to partner with the Pac-12 last summer and got turned down in much the same way when their roles were reversed. Now the Big 12 must decide if it wants to make a run at inviting a handful of Pac-12 teams into the fold or standing pat with this current membership. Expansion would make sense for two main reasons. It would provide the Big 12 strength in numbers and seriously weaken the Pac-12 as a power conference, which could create less competition. Well, let me just say this. The conference became weakened when USC and UCLA jumped ship to the Big Ten. Many have speculated that the Big 12 is interested in Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. Oregon and Washington are two other schools that would make sense. In the past, Pac-12 schools haven't shown much interest in the Big 12. Heck, Colorado left the Big 12 for the Pac 
12, little more than a decade ago. Let me say, though, that was because of Texas. But now that UCLA and USC are heading to the Big Ten, the Big 12 can provide more stability than any league on the West Coast, expanding to 16 Expanding to six, expanding to 16 or more members would give the Big 12 a larger presence across three time zones and potentially give a leg up on the ACC. Just because the Big 12 passed on an opportunity to partner with the Pac-12 doesn't mean it has given up on poaching its Pac-12 schools of choice. But it will have to make fiscal sense with new teams bringing in new value. We could maybe be under be the hunter this year, K-State Athletics Director Gene Taylor said last week. We all feel that way. With the new commissioner, we're just trying to figure out the best way to go about it. Lock up, here's what I've been saying, lock up a lucrative TV deal. Outgoing Commissioner Bob Bowlesby announced last week that the Big 12 distributed a record $42.6 million to each of its members in revenue last year. That number is bound to decline after league heavyweights Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC in 2025. But by how much? In the past, Bowlesby has suggested that the conference would lose half its TV value without the Longhorns and Sooners. Well, heck, Longhorns wouldn't lose nothing. They had their own network. But that was before BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF accepted invitations to join the league. Armed with new members and an evolving media landscape, perhaps your Mac can negotiate a new TV deal that ranks ahead of both the ACC and the Pac-12. NBC is reportedly interested in expanding its college football programming on top of Notre Dame home games, adding the Peacock streaming network to a list of bidders for Big 12 football would be a good thing for the conference. Imagine a Big 12 Notre Dame doubleheader Saturday when the Fighting Irish play at home and a standalone Big 12 game in primetime when the Irish are on the road. Even if that doesn't come to fruition, having NBC involved could drive up the price for ESPN or Fox to continue broadcasting Big 12 games. CBS will also be in need of product after the SEC moves completely to ABC and ESPN. It's also possible a streaming service such as Apple TV or Netflix could enter the picture. There is no guarantee that any of those networks will offer the Big 12 a head-turning deal, but negotiating one could eliminate the need for expansion. Then again, the Pac-12 will know what its media rights are worth without UCLA and USC in the next few weeks. If the number underwhelms, the Big 12 will gain leverage. And the third point of interest, let's win, baby. Let's say we have entered the eye of conference realignment storm and no more major moves are charging fast on the horizon. There is one other, albeit slower, way the Big 12 can prove it belongs with the Big 10 and SEC, even as they try to separate from the pack. Big 12 games can win big on the football field. The Big 12 proved itself as the nation's top men's basketball conference when Baylor and Kansas won back-to-back national championships. It can show it belongs on the football field in much the same way by winning important bowl games and sending teams to the playoffs. Oklahoma is the only Big 12 team that has ever made the playoffs, so it won't be easy for someone new to carry the flag. But Cincinnati reached the big stage last season a member of, as a member of the American Athletic Conference. It can be done. We could see the playoff picture expand beyond four teams. 
in the not-so-distant future. Someone has to fill the void left behind by Oklahoma and Texas. If new powers emerge and the Big 12 establishes a new presence in the playoffs, it will be well-positioned to succeed. So there you have the state of college football and what the Big 12 needs to do to establish itself as one of the best conferences behind the SEC and the Big 10. Well, this has been another edition of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. We are now getting ready to bring this train into the station. Just want to say to all of my Facebook friends that may happen to listen to my podcast, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for all of those of you who took the time out to send me birthday wishes upon Tuesday as I turn 55. Appreciate it. Appreciate the love. Uh, the dinner I had with my fiance on Sunday that she paid for. Love you, Linda. Baby, I love you, love you, love you. Can't wait till October the 15th. Yes, y'all heard it right here on this podcast. October the 15th is my wedding day. So I'm looking forward to that. But like I said, blessed to be able to see another year. Thank you for all the wishes. Uh, I'm just I'm just grateful. I, that's all I can say. I'm just grateful and I'm thankful that good Lord has let me see another year. And that I still can put out these podcasts. And I'm I'm died right now. I guess I'm right now being overcome with emotions because it's, it's just I'm just grateful. But anyway, I will be back probably probably tomorrow with some more content. But I hope you enjoyed today's ride on the A Train Sports Talk podcast. Your host, Dr. Anthony Smith. I'm out of here. Be blessed.